0: Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We find out why people do what they do, how they do it, and what is in the future of their work. My guest today is Ali Houston. Ali is a health coach and food entrepreneur who I met through our mutual friend, Dr. Ian Campbell. You can connect with him on Ali transforms across Twitter and Instagram and at paleocanteen.co.uk. This conversation reminded me of a crucial health issue I overcame as a child. And why people like Ali are so important to the overall conversation around health. Enjoy. Yeah, hey, Ali, great to have you here. Thank you for coming on. I'm uh, looking forward to our chat tonight. Um, so I'm in South Queensbury on uh, the east side, and I think you're in Glasgow area. So what what's was, what was life like in Glasgow for you?
1: Life is good at the moment. Yeah, I... Uh, I've been doing my thing, trying to be my own boss, I guess, for the last five years or so, and um, I've spent most of my life in Glasgow. I think I've I've been in the south side for just about five years, four and a half, yeah. um, and you know I grew up in the West End, so the south side was might as well have been the moon. Yeah. <laughs> But now I love it, you know, we've got uh, so many parks round about, Queen's Park, Pollock Park, Lynn Park's amazing. Um, and, you know, a lot of my friends pretty close by. So what more could you ask for?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The of Glasgow's about as good as it gets, I think. <laughs> um, and, and what was your life like growing up then?
1: It was good, yeah. I had a comfortable upbringing um parents are both nice people and uh i like my siblings uh i like my friends to still hanging out with uh quite a few friends that i had when i was growing up um i mean i guess we'll we'll come on to what i do now and why but i did have a lot of illness in my youth yeah. and um I, I guess i didn't let it get to me as much as possible i still was very active and um sociable yeah but yeah definitely was a, a hallmark my mum used to say she had a season ticket to york hill children's hospital and <laughs> um, but overall it was it was great growing up west end glasgow really warm yeah
0: that's what I say. um say, so we, we've connected through a mutual friend, and, uh, it's, you know, there's an interest in healthy and interest in, in that sort of experience, so I, uh, I was growing up in Southside Glasgow as well, Shawlands area and then Newton Mernsway, um, my dad became a, a minister up there, uh, but yeah, similarly had, that's from sort of age 10 or so, quite a long-term um, health challenge as a teenager. And it's interesting sort of going through some of that, but recognising the experience it gives you now and the life it leads you on to. Um, and to almost, yeah, for me, there's gratitude in, in a lot of the learning and a lot of the shaping of what that brought. And uh, I suppose empathy for people who are going through similar types of things now, you
1: know? So, um, it's, I've got, I've got very little doubt that our dad's knew each other oh, my dad really? passed away a few years ago but right. he worked in the divinity faculty in glasgow university wow and was ordained as a church of scotland minister and it's not a that big a community
0: yeah, yeah, yeah he probably lectured him at some point
1: <laughs> no doubt That's amazing.
0: wow right yeah it's a small world the uh, the world of uh, ministers kids is uh, a strange one they often i think they often went like totally off the rails so they went off to some <laughs> kind of bingo college side. so i think i did both <laughs> <laughs> um right so so it was west end of glasgow and um and as you're kind of going to that did you did you sort of experience life as okay there's a possibility here i want to i want to travel i want to get beyond glasgow um or for you is there something just magic about the local place?
1: I spent a lot of time in Glasgow. I've never gone to university or any sort of um, schooling away. You know, I I lived at home uh, while I was doing that, uh, which some people think is a bit weird. But I've also been abroad a lot and I couldn't wait to explore. So, you know, I was lucky enough at the end of school to be able to go to India and that was just amazing and um i went I, after I, I left school i started working and I, I spent uh 8 months traveling in new zealand um where i worked and then after university i lived in china for a year teaching english in a high school um and you know i take every opportunity i can to travel this year was pretty lucky actually a four people very close to me and my girlfriend got married um, in places that required flights. So I had to had to go to Belfast, um, Cairo, Istanbul, um, where was the last one? Mallorca. So amazing year this year for, for racking up uh, travel miles. Um, but... I definitely want, always wanted to explore, and I feel, I feel like I've got a, fair, a fair, uh, fair bit of that under my belt.
0: Yeah, 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 I love it. I I think I, I reached this point where I was probably like, maybe after the health thing, and some of the teenagers, I was like, just want to get out of Scotland, want to get out of uh, the suburb thing, and um it's actually only when I went away and people start asking you about Scotland, like, where are you from, what's it like? In my mind, I wasn't necessarily like, well, it's the knife crime capital of Europe and everyone's absolutely you know tanking their health Um, it was probably more the case of like yeah it's beautiful there's these locks and mountains and everyone's your best mate and the music's cracking so yeah that definitely was a growing sense of love for Glasgow, love for Scotland that comes through traveling as
1: well. Eh? Yeah absolutely, Find found myself drinking whiskey and uh, listening to Caledonia with a tear in my eye kind of thing
0: <laughs> in the middle of India
1: Sichuan, yeah
0: <laughs> well, and um, so you're saying so some of your route wasn't the, the university route um, what was what was work like for you after after doing school and uh, after a bit of the travelling
1: I'd worked when I was 16 in school and then when I left school in uh, Regano which is a uh, uh, a restaurant which seems to maybe have gone, it might make a resurgence, but um, it was a fancy fish restaurant in in Glasgow, which used to be sort of the place for all the stars. So you name it, they've been there. Um, stories about, you know, Rod Stewart signing the tablecloth instead of the credit card slip and uh, all sorts of shenanigans with um, footballers and royals and you name it. Um, it's a very interesting place to work. When i was 16 or 17 and then i worked in a few other kind of fancy or fancy-ish restaurants and really loved fine dining and um it broadened my foodie horizons you know i was a very fussy eater when i was growing up
0: okay.
1: and all of a sudden i was watching classically trained chefs making lobster thermidor and stuff so um it was, it was exciting, and it opened doors abroad as well to working in, in places. Um, all of this front of house, you know, I was always uh, bartending or waiting or managing. Um, but when I was in New Zealand, actually, I decided that's kind of enough of that. I would quite like to go to uni and see where that takes me.
0: Right. Okay. And then, where the did it take?
1: At first, I studied English literature, and film because I love reading I love uh, poetry particularly and um, and films and then I was quite disillusioned after six months or so of the course because I really resented um, not only dissecting my favourite pieces of art but also having that opinion marked by people Mm. um it just felt like the whole process was it defeated the point of the art in the first place and it was interesting because I I, I was a bit kind of despondent I said to the careers person you know maybe I should just um get a a trade you know I'd seen people who are a few years older with their own businesses and doing really well and but why don't I? Why don't I become an electrician or a plumber or something? Um, I like people, good with my hands. She was like, "Oh no, you need to get a degree." And I, I disagree with that. But I listened to her and thought, "Well, what what was I good at school? I was, I was pretty good at uh, math and physics." So I switched to math and physics, and in the end, I got a, a physics degree from Glasgow Uni, um, and ended up with a, a an award for my the work I did in my final year um and that allowed me to sort of embark on a career in in physics and engineering um and it's funny because someone who I spoke about who informs a lot of what I do with health coaching now um I spoke about uh with our mutual friend Ian um when we recorded a podcast episode together a guy called Ian McGilchrist I'm not sure if yeah, if sure you're f- familiar sure. with him, he's a, he's a psychiatrist who actually lives in Skye. Right. And um, he wrote this book, which is gaining in popularity all the time, even though it's over a decade old now. It's called The Master and His Emissary. And it's about how the left and right hemispheres operate. And um, he originally was an English scholar in Oxford. And he found that this. Uh, This um, process of criticising art in a technical way killed the patient on the operating table, if you like. You know, something in that section kills the um, appreciation of art in the first place. You know, art is self-evidently art, so it's almost... The definition of art is that you understand what it's saying without having to explain it beyond what it is. Yeah. It's almost doing something which words can't do. So when you try to explain what it's doing with words, it um, it kills part of it. Wow. And so he moved away from that and became a psychiatrist. So I, th- I f- although I don't want to compare myself intellectually to Ian McGillchrist, I do find that uh, I do find it inspiring that he found the same thing. Um, in his education, um, and that you know, that I was excited that that tied into Ian's experience too. Um, but um, I ended up with a physics degree and worked well after my physics degree as a as a as a, uh, an English teacher in China, which was just always something I wanted to do. I wanted to go to uh, Asia, um, Japan, or maybe China, and then. I just thought China was a bit of a road less traveled so I went there. Um and and then when I came back I got a job in physics so I was working for for a laser factory and um apparently there's two in Glasgow it turns out and I was making these these uh these lasers a couple of different types in my 3 years there um which which uh, cost about quarter of a million dollars and they're you know pretty big a few feet long and they sort of filled with, um, ex- expensive components and I was making them and aligning them and fixing them and, um, and just learning about how that, how all that works. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and then moved on to working in, um, doing a PhD or starting a PhD, which I never ended up completing, which was in gravitational waves. So, you know, I don't know if you've seen Forrest Gump, but, um, he kind of, his life touches upon various key moments in, in history. Yeah. And I felt like when I was doing my PhD, that I was forest Gumping it a little bit because <laughs> the year after I joined to do my PhD, the the collaboration that I, my PhD work was part of um, discovered gravitational waves, which is like a thousand people around the world working on it. And, um, So my name is on the paper. I feel like it's in the same way that Forrest Gump was, um, you know, given the Presidential Medal of Honor. You know, he kind of (laughs) right place, right time sort of thing. It didn't really have anything to do with me. Um, And that was exciting just to sort of be there and be close to it. But it was really there when I was doing my PhD that the health problems that i would had since I was a kid and all the way through came to a head, which is how I came to really change into what... I do now.
0: Right. Wow. It's amazing um, the way our journeys kind of meander, hey, and pick out different points that sort of forest gumping. Um as you're saying, there's something in these moments with art or within thinking when um, it can be a case that so often what we try and do is get definition. Maybe that's even on the career, but uh, it can happen on art, so like how do we get more definition how do we get understanding, and how do we get to, um, really get clarity, and then delete the rest of what's there, um, and uh, I suppose there's sort of schools of thought that that would want to pull out of that, and or just suggest there's a different way, which is instead of getting more definition, how do you get more distinction? How do you just unpack something until you you don't have clarity on it, but you have experience of it, you have encounter of it, which uh, certainly leans itself to art and. And maybe people's careers or paths going forward. Eh? It's it's not just the case of how to get to one thing. As um, maybe uh, Plato and Cole were chatting about <laughs> in the public, you know that you get these set roles. Uh, but how do you explore your passions, your curiosities, and and use your skill set and bring that to uh, closer and closer to the passions that you've got? So it's it sounds like an amazing journey you've had.
1: Well, it's it's been meandering certainly like you say and i agree that there's this um tension between trying to find definition and trying to uh see the overall picture mm-hmm. you know i think you i think really good art um is self-evident the minute you see it what it means even if it doesn't actually say it explicitly
0: yeah
1: you know uh, this um this uh uncovering um the sort of more you dig at it the less you see or something like that yeah
0: yeah
1: and it's there's sort of some there's some paradoxes there um and you know I, I have friends who knew what they wanted to do and left school at 17 and did it and they were established in that by the time they were 25 26 right. whereas I've been zigging and zagging the whole time
0: yeah
1: because both you know I I tend to sort of just follow my nose in that regard and also this big health thing which um, came to a head when I was studying for the PhD
0: right yeah what was your experience of that then how did the uh, the health piece? Come
1: to affect more of more of your life. Well, I've had autoimmune uh, problems since I was a kid. Uh, I'd, had, I'd needed surgery twice on an ailment where my esophagus closed over, um, called achalasia, which is most likely an autoimmune response to most likely ingestion of uh, wheat. right? But it's poorly understood, especially in children. Um, it's just that autoimmunity tends to stem from the ingestion of wheat um, in people who are particularly sensitive to it, mm-hmm. which is a higher number than I think most people realize. And uh, that really kind of was was the the kernel of it but it was so much more than that as well the um I had, I had mental health issues i had um other physical issues and when i got into my late 20s they got worse and worse so i was getting brain fog all the time so that i i knew i wasn't stupid i had a good degree uh, in physics but i couldn't think straight it was like i couldn't access my brain properly mm-hmm. um i um, felt depressed, anxious. I really had seasonal affective disorder badly. I was fearing the onset of autumn and winter. Um, you know, the, the, the it got to the point where I couldn't actually function at a high enough level to do PhD work properly. And that's when I stumbled upon the potential solution you know i was just it was just dumb luck that my phd second supervisor the one who didn't take so much of a day-to-day role um a professor called ken strain who was involved in the gravitational wave group um for probably 25 years or so since he'd done his phd um maybe more and So he'd done some work that was integral to uh, discovery of gravitational waves. And um, he was in his early 40s, you know, probably 10 or 15 years ago. And um, he'd uh, been told he would never work again because he had chronic fatigue syndrome, ME. Hmm. And he was not able to walk more than about 50 yards without collapsing, um, just wasn't really there uh, mentally. And um, he did some of his own research, which obviously he does very well as a researcher. And he read books, blogs, scientific papers, which are readily available on PubMed, and came to the conclusion that if, if he cut out Refined carbohydrates, so we're talking about sugar, starches, that kind of thing, flour. Then he might be in with a shout of helping his 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 health, and um, within about six months, he was running ten k's again. Wow! So he had this amazing sort of Damascene moment, and he then continued to be a physics professor, but on a you know on. In parallel was deepening and broadening his uh, nutrition and health knowledge. So when I come along, someone who's, you know, got a first in physics, but is woefully underperforming in the PhD, he said, this might be an idea, just look at these places where you can read blogs, you can read papers, you can um, understand some of the context of how, what public understanding is of um, modern medicine and what we eat and what we should eat. You know, how doctors tend to uh, identify a defined disease and then prescribe a medication and then hope that you improve somewhat rather than asking what is the root cause and seeing if there can be not an addition of a silver bullet and crossing of fingers, but a removal of the actual root cause. Wow. And, I mean, that's something that physics and engineering is really good at. Um, okay. And yes. and so I did a lot of reading. And in the end, I was reading more nutrition than physics day to day. I decided I would just grasp the nettle and do it. And I cut out the foods that I thought would be the most problematic. And almost overnight, most of the problems that I had went away. The extra weight that I was carrying, sometimes up to three stone extra, just melted away and has stayed away. Um, I had heartburn to the point where often I, ha- I would have to sleep upright um, and I, I wasn't sleeping very well at that. That just went away. And um, that autumn, when I was worried about the and winter seasonal affective disorder coming back, it didn't. Um, I felt happy. My mood was high and even all the time and I felt sharp again. You know, I had my mental capacity back and I was so grateful and so amazed. And I thought, well, clearly this works for me. Clearly this worked for, um, for Ken, Clearly, this is working for the people who are writing about it in their own blogs and who are responding on the blogs and so on and then people were starting to kind of talk more and more about it on Facebook and Twitter and that kind of thing and I thought you know I'm just I'm going to do what I tend to do which is just go all in here and start something myself that helps people to uh access this kind of information, because not everyone wants to read scientific papers or scientific blogs. Not everyone wants to understand why something happens. Some people just want to know what to do. And it took a while to work out exactly what that looks like. But fast forwarding sort of six years now, and I am a health coach. So I work with people who not only want to know what to do and what things might work, but also to have someone there to hold the space for them so that they can really work through why they act the way they do around food and around lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also sell sugar-free products that allow people to kind of bridge away from these foods which are so addictive yeah but that um they feel like they can't let go of
0: yeah wow i'm i i'm really grateful just yeah hearing about that story thank you um it's uh, be amazing to hear a wee bit more about the kind of right into how it works and how you've seen it um it's it's nice maybe just state my own interest in it from from years ago um it's so maybe similar when I was it was that age ten. Um, I had chronic fatigue M E as it turned out to be again after maybe a three year time of uncertainty and the, the exhaustion. It was like the the plug had been pulled. That's probably the best description of M E. It's just it plugs out. Um, and then tried everything at at the time. The NHS were able to diagnose it, which was incredibly helpful, and they were upfront and said we as a child we don't think we've got something that will, will immediately work for you. So you are then left thinking, well, where, where do we go now? And many people have, have that from trying umpteen different treatments um, and can chip away at the, at the resilience or the hope of a different possibility of life. Um, I then came upon the Candida diet, it was called, which was uh, cutting out yeast, sugar, glucose, fructose, Lots of supplements and the, the prediction was, um, you know, you go a bit yellow as, as essentially I think the, the bacteria that was a kind of gut based bacteria that went through the system that will die off and then your body will start to recover once it stops kind of feeding this um, bacterial uh, infection. going, And again, it was maybe six months and I went from days, couldn't really go 50 feet um, outside the driveway um and some people get me much more severe you know with light sensitivity and um and such but went, went from that to incredible uh, fitness huge spring back uh, lost lost a couple stone he was in, as a teenager and um did this sort of wild detox age 14 15 um so that you know that's left me pretty changed i think one of the fears I sometimes live with is this kind of what if thing and um, I don't really explore it I'm sure I'm sure it would have worked out in many ways but I do have a bit of like a what if I'd never done that and um, and would I still be in what I experienced as a bit of a pit and um, of, of that kind of life um, so it's, it's it's quite inspiring I suppose just hearing other people who've been through uh, maybe similar uh, types of um, challenges and found the route through nutrition um and through these new uh, or newer research methods that are going on so yeah really thankful to know they exist and to know that they're still going on um and so yeah I'm really interested you know how how does it how does it work what what do you do day to day now to sort of explore this area and how, how do we help people
1: yeah well I mean it's, I, I never tired of hearing stories like yours. And I think for me, for you, for most other people, it all starts in the gut. Yeah. And with what we put in. So, you know, you can think of the body as multiple different systems that are working together and it can get very complicated very quickly. But most people... Uh, who study the gut, consider the inside of the body not to start in the mouth, but to start just after the the gut barrier into the bloodstream. And if we could see the health of the interface from the outside of the body to the inside, where the gut has all of the stuff that you've eaten, broken down by your stomach, acids and biles and stuff like that, uh, and is ready to be absorbed into the bloodstream, we would see that so many of us have an extremely unhealthy environment there. And that through various mechanisms, we get to the stage where there is uh, not enough nutrition And not enough energy getting into our bodies and not only that but stuff that does get into our bodies into the bloodstream can actively damage various systems within the body so you have um something called leaky gut where you have uh an environment at that uh, gut blood barrier where things that ordinarily wouldn't get into the bloodstream get into the bloodstream They can cross into the brain. They can wreak havoc in different systems in the body. Um, you know, autoimmune arthritis, various skin issues, various mental health issues, and um, often stem from that exact mechanism. And if you get into that situation, then other systems can downregulate. So, quite often, when you have stomach problems, your doctor will prescribe anti-acid measures. But in order for the stomach to be effective, it needs to be extremely acidic. You know, human's stomach pH is typically lower than that of wolves, so it's more acidic. So to get the nutrition required from high-quality foods, meat, fish, eggs, you really need a very acidic environment there. Right. And we've also been advised wrongly, I think, around what foods are acquired and what foods are nutritious. You know, if you're in a situation where that gut blood barrier can be damaged by gluten um, or damaged by dairy then, uh, or even interfered with by other foods that most people consider to be healthy, like uh, certain plant foods like legumes, beans, um, other foods which can prevent the absorption of nutrition then you know you can find yourself from all these different directions in various forms of ill health and it depends on your genes which expression right you get so and it depends on what you eat and then what order across your life so um, there's a bit of luck involved. There's a bit of, about timing. There's a bit about your genes, and it can all come together to, you know, bring these problems on. Right. And and for me now, day to day, I have built up a a, a deep picture of um, the the scientific research around these issues, uh, starting from landmark papers by people like um fasano italian um doctor based in america who he did the landmark paper on uh, an enzyme called zonulin which uh, regulates the gut the blood barrier function and that gluten really messes with and lets these things which shouldn't be in your bloodstream into the bloodstream from there i've i've kind of looked into as much about the gut as I can and how how it should function mm-hmm. and how it can malfunction. Um, and then I've gone beyond the gut into uh, kind of more of a phenomenological thing where I look at what has worked for people. Mm. Because sometimes where there isn't research, you need to look at what has worked for people. You know, if you're told that something is a chronic condition that can't be reversed. Uh But there are people out there who have been definitely diagnosed with this condition correctly, like Ian, for example, um, or me with my autoimmune conditions, but then they go away. Um, Then then your theory that it's a chronic progressive condition is not correct. And you have to re-examine it and think, well, maybe someone's done something here which has actually addressed the root cause. Yes, and so I'm interested in advocating for people to work with their doctors to um, find out what might be the root cause and to really stick to that. Mm. And um, it's funny how you know there's communities all around for things like ADHD that I was diagnosed with and um, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, ME, bipolar. All of these have quite different expressions, yeah. but they all have probably thousands to tens of thousands of people online at any one time saying, cutting out these foods helped me. And the list of foods have a striking similarity.
0: Right. And how would you define some of those? What are some of the peak common ones?
1: I would say that Typically, what you find is sugar and flour would be the the main offenders and that increasingly people are noticing that veg oil has a, a large part to play, that they not only happen to be uh, added into most modern processed foods, but that veg oil in and of itself may play a bigger role, a bigger negative role than people first thought. Right so that some people have cut out sugar for a long time, but it wasn't until they they Uh, aggressively cut out um, veg oils that they noticed that their problems went away. So I would say that sugar, flour, and veg oil are kind of the the three worst offenders, and that um, dairy is a big problem for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. You know, my um, original food brand was called Paleo Canteen. And the sort of logic of paleo that really appealed to me as a um, physicist, a scientist, was that we evolved over millions of years as modern hominids. Millions of years, a long, long time. And you try and think about what that means. You know, you could think, oh, a thousand years ago was sort of the Middle Ages. A thousand years before that was kind of Jesus' time. You start going a couple of thousand years before that, you're kind of at pyramids and stuff. And then it kinda gets hazy. You're like, well, wait a minute, what was before that? And you're only four thousand years ago. Yeah. You know, a mil think about two million years ago. There was things like us butchering animals and everything in between then and now. Yeah. So it's this very long time where the people who lived then only survived because they they did things that um, allowed them to thrive, right? Or another way of looking at it was, the ones who survived were the ones who thrived in these various environments. Yeah. The, the ones who died or didn't weren't able to reproduce were not suited to those environments. So, if you look at it from another direction, the choices we make now should really uh, reflect as much as possible those environments because those are the bodies that we've inherited. And it's true to say that evolution took place in a variety of places under a variety of conditions with a variety of lifestyles and yeah. uh, diets, but that there are common themes and that we can really try to work out what they are. Yeah, You know, um, sugar, flour, and veg oil just wasn't available in the same abundance back then.
0: And so we've gone through 99.9999% of the time as, as systems as in existence. And then suddenly we do this change to the whole system. It's pretty dramatic in the last, maybe I don't know, 500 years, 200 years. Um, and so it makes sense like, well, why, why would the system work if you, change the fuel source you change something fairly inherently you change the lifestyle and, and we're kind of coming to terms with that but we're looking at it here back the way rather than having any any sense of the length of time And so it's a bit like um understand what, the kind of fear response in the brain like with the amygdala and or any kind of reactions that we have they're really useful or they were developed over time to avoid uh, threats and so it was quick assessments of you know a bear coming at you, and we're not really wanting to be like, yeah. But what are the distinctions for the fur, and what about the tooth? It was just on or off, and uh, you know that that's phenomenally successful system. But now we're we're using that same system as it relates to an email coming our way, and we're we're judging someone on their intentions using the same method that we might have. So we're again we're so we're looking from here back the way, and we're trying to work out how do we re understand our system.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely, and it's not just it's not just food, you know. I think um, sometimes people come to me for health coaching, thinking right. that I will tell them what to eat, and I will only say what they ask me about. I if if they never ask me what to eat, then I'll never say a single thing unless they say something like, "Oh, uh, I don't understand. I've been eating sugar and nothing but sugar, and I've not felt I don't feel any better." I might say, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, let's explore. Yeah. Where did you Where did you uh, find out that sugar was the best thing to eat? And you know, maybe we'll get curious about it. But yeah. um The holistic picture of who we are as people is a paleo thing too. Right. I think that um, the connection is protection mantra that you hear a lot with uh, addiction recovery is completely. Uh, essential to who we are you know Get yes you have introverts um who, who recharge by being alone of course and we all do to some extent but we must be connected
0: mm.
1: and i think that's something that modern life kind of tends to trim away more and more you know we're isolated more and more um i constantly refer back to jimmy reed's address to university of glasgow when he was rector you know about alienation The rat race is for rats. We're not rats, we're human beings. And so part of the power in what I experienced was that, yes, I fueled my body, I built my body, I um, nourished my body with uh, the right foods, and I removed the ones that were poisoning it and damaging it. But I also found... A community
0: mm-hmm.
1: that was um, profoundly uh, understanding of what I'd been through
0: yeah.
1: because they had been through the same thing. And I also, in health coaching, welcome people in a completely non-judgmental way mm. to talk about themselves. When do we get to do that nowadays?
0: Right.
1: We grab a few hours with friends when we can every few months if we're lucky on the whole otherwise it's just the odd like on social media mm. you look at traditional communities they spend hours and hours with each other all the time they tell stories around the fire they they're hunting they're gathering they're they are togetherness is who we are and i think the idea that you can treat the body just as a machine and it's uh, it's just kind of inputs and outputs and that if you get the diet right, then you'll be sorted is, um, is ridiculous. I think very few people really think that, but I think we, we forget how important it is to, to connect in a a profound way. And I think that's a big part of the magic of health coaching. You know, there's, there's multiple truths going on at once. There's when people ask me, what is the truth about the best way to fuel our bodies? Then I can tell them that this paper exists, that paper exists, this experience exists, which might inform what you're trying to do here with food and with lifestyle. Yeah. But the fact that me and the client are spending 90 minutes really understanding the client is very often the, the the real magic, this uh, this truth that it only exists because me and the client are having that conversation. Yeah. They have their truth, I have mine and there's this third one, which is like a betweenness right? And it's owned by both of us, but neither of us. and it's informed by both of us but you know can't be hundred percent one or the other. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a magic to that, which I think modern life quite often flattens completely onto a screen.
0: Yeah. 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 And there's, um, I was thinking about that, there's the, the idea of the qualia of the, the kind of encounter, the experience between things, which is like that undeniable, what, what is forming between people. Um, I think, some of the old traditions called it the the zimzum of love that was unpacked and it was like you've got to put two people at each little circle around them and then they start to notice that their circles are kind of crossing over and something's forming and it's that third circle that's forming between them that's like what what's that you know and getting really interested to um, think about like what is the experience you have of other people and it uh, sounds beautiful that that's that's in a coaching relationship and then that's in a a health context because like like you say it sounds like a lot of the time health is something that can be um, a pursuit for people it's a game and it is those getting the body right getting the mechanistic stuff right or maybe increasingly it's a resistant space because it's attached to painful conversations in the past or um, senses a judgment on the self or or from relationships so, so I'd be interested how How do you engage or how do you tend to that space between people, particularly when uh, maybe it's been a resistant space for folks that they are, um, don't want to go there with their own thoughts about health or have had, uh, they've lost hope. Uh, How do you tend to that space?
1: Well, I think people come to me ready to change somehow. They know that they have had enough of what they're going through to the point where they've sought help and that when that balance shifts over to wanting the short preferring the short-term pain of exploring why they're doing what they're doing which they find to be negative um when that becomes more of a priority than than just suppressing it and accepting the longer term pain of um, of doing that then you've got someone who's ready to try something yeah. and I've been there several times where I'd looked around for what might work and of course on the internet you've got like this one weird little tip that'll solve everything or you' you've heard friends say oh a friend of a friend did this and it seemed yeah. to help yeah. and so you try and then if it's not good information, you fail and you blame yourself and you're back to square one of just going through that long-term pain until you get to the point again where you think no I'm going to do something about this. Mm-hmm. So I meet people when they're at a stage where they want to do something about it. But it's interesting you talk about um the the kind of avoidance or the um you know uh this uh desire to just treat the mechanistic side of things some people do come to me like that where they say right I want to do 50 miles a week on Strava on my bike I want to um lift heavier I want to eat better and then things will be good and I say something like well you know what's exciting for you and it kind of throws them
0: Mm.
1: you know they 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 want to ignore themselves in a sense and mm. um, stick to the numbers right. But I think that relates to what we were talking about earlier with um, with art, how um, there's a quantitative description of things, which is only one version of the truth. You know you could look at someone who's doing 50 miles a week on the bike on Strava, and um, being very careful with what they eat and um, not drinking any alcohol. And one person is doing it because they have got to the stage where they've acknowledged that life is difficult and that they have a range of um, tools at their disposal that they can be kind to themselves with. And one of them is through diet and exercise. So they've chosen that. And they're also making the best effort they can to see friends more and to um, see toxic people less and to um, listen to what they need spiritually and emotionally and go into nature more. But then you've got another person who's doing exactly the same stuff with their diet and their exercise, who are doing it because whenever they're exercising, whenever they're in control of their diet they can avoid thinking about how hurt they feel. They can avoid thinking about, um, they can avoid feeling. Yeah. And on paper, they're doing the same things, lifestyle-wise, but they're not. And so within five minutes, maybe even sometimes within five seconds, I think in a health coaching setting, that becomes clear. And I don't think I've had a health coaching session with the latter type of person, where by the end, they don't feel like there's been some catharsis. Because mm-hmm. you can't keep that kind of thing down forever. Yeah. It has to come out. We're all, unless we're psychopathic, we're, we all have that whole self. And I think these days, we tend to think sometimes that we can get away without exploring the part of ourselves, which is difficult to explain in words you know we we have to use metaphors to tap into this this side of ourselves yeah our emotions our um our our, our self saboteurs yeah our uh, our, our deep, the deepest darkest and lightest feelings yeah you know they you can't quantify that in strava or with um carbohydrate count yeah right
0: right
1: and yeah, so when people come thing. to me to change and we we explore that space between each other that's to me the most important part of it is to find metaphors that properly explain what you're going through and where you want to go and yeah diet lifestyle is a huge part of that but it it's 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 just not possible right. to be a complete person without the other part
0: right oh, that's amazing i've never um made the connection or seen the connection as it relates to health and particularly like you know as you say diet exercise or all these sort of metric goals and mechanistic goals in terms of that uh, almost archetypal bigger picture narrative story uh you know characterization of what's the current that, that connects to the meaning Um, there's been really kind of diving into the work of Dick Schwartz and um, uh, a method he's got called internal family systems and he was doing that observation that within a, a family therapy context he was seeing all these characters sort of popping up in ways of being and then when he was doing one-on-ones people would basically relate the same sort of stuff in the different parts of who they were and they'd articulate oh, part of me feels like this part of me is like that and um so he, he identifies that lots of other people done it with work on sub-personalities or the, the bigger kind of archetypal stuff, but that um, that's all at play within the system and wholeness is is that is the space between the parts of ourselves, the dialogue, the interaction. And it's it's really interesting just thinking what relationship do the different parts of ourselves have towards our health? And, um, you know, because, that that maybe relates for me. There's the part which is like, Yeah, go for it, who cares? You're you're psychologically gonna just smash this anyway. And then there's the other bit which is you know, it's part of me formed that says, you know that um, there's a there's a wholeness around food and um, diet and your and your well being. And there is this sort of connection between the two. So it's fascinating hearing how wholeness can relate to health and then down into some of those expressions of diet, exercise, and travel life, um, so that's wow, um, and how would you, this is where we're kind of coming, coming into land I suppose, um, where do you see the future of this going, because it feels exciting, and it feels like in the past there's been significance in how this has tangibly changed people's quality of life, where, where could this go in the future?
1: Well, it's something that I keep asking myself, Um, you know, I make food products which are inherently scalable. Um, There's a clear desire for them, people like them. And that kind of is a bit of a numbers game. You know, I'd be delighted to keep selling these things, which people find good value in, which I think are so much better than... Um, what exists out there already. You know, I I firmly believe that um, advances in human understanding can be thought of as technologies. You know, uh, someone I know, um, I can't remember his name, but he he says in his podcast quite frequently that, uh, you know, when the Americans dropped the atom bomb, on Nagasaki, they, they dropped an atom bomb, they didn't drop a physics. You know, the, there's a kind of dispassionate march of technology, we have to decide what to do with it. Yeah. Um, food is a technology. You know, some people consider that we didn't domesticate grain, grain domesticated us. You know, there's this grass called wheat, which is all over the world now. Mm. Who's done well out of that? Well humans to to an extent of course but we're far sicker than we were before we started wow. eating it wheat's done really well out of it because it's everywhere um you know the, the there's a technology there's technologies called ice cream there's technologies called chocolate and they tend to not be conducive to good health right and so i thought well i'll make chocolate and ice cream that is much much better for health so I'm happy for that to continue to grow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for me, the the and, and funny how it, it kind of echoes what we were talking about. How there's two parts to a whole healthy individual. There's the there's the there's the technical aspects, the knowing uh, in in a sort of a numbers sense, and then there's a um, a, a more holistic. Um, Deeply felt understanding approach, and I feel like the coaching is 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 where that part of me resides, where the nice. um, where the 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 most rewarding work happens. And so, I'm delighted to continue to uh, work with one to one clients, where you can really get into it. And what I want to do is work out whether that can broaden out into a group setting, what size that group can be. Whilst retaining a sense of proper deep work, mm.
0: Mm.
1: and that to me is the future of the health coaching practice yeah. side of things. Yeah. So, I'm exploring that at the moment. I'm working out. You know, I think some of my favourite you um, know kind of coaches that are out there tend to work with maybe a dozen people at a time for a few months yes. at a time on specific uh, needs. The problem is that individuals have different needs and to sort of get people together to do one stint of a few months might be uh, hard to align everyone's needs. So this is where I'm at. I I love doing one-to-one work. Uh, I find it very successful with with clients' health. And the next step is, how do you turn that into a successful group experience?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fab place i think to try and discover because the tension as you have maybe have been unpacking is some of that underlying tension within medicine as a whole or within uh, categorization as a whole which is how how big can we scale things how many trends can we get how much data analysis can we do that then draws it away from the individual um but maybe that's what the cycle then leads to like just how do we get a plaster on that or how do we get a diagnosis that works for as many as possible uh, with the same input of of medication Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting paradox to think how do you work with the individual create that unique space between but also seek that for for the larger group um i think that's a great question to be in and uh, you can even just feel the care you have for folks in asking the question so it sounds like that will lead to some fascinating places and, and again, more, more well-being for people. So, um, Mate, I've, I've loved this. Thank you. Uh, it's been a it's been, privilege to hear about the work you're doing and it uh, feels like it's kind of resonated uh, Yeah, part of me that's uh, that kind of ten-year-old again that's interested in this stuff and feels very thankful to, to have come across uh, someone I did back then. So it's brilliant that people will come across what you're doing just now. And, um, I'm sure in years to come, they'll look back grateful for it. So how, how can people connect with you and, um, and with what you're creating?
1: I'm on all the social media platforms. So Ali Houston transforms on Facebook and Instagram and a Ali transforms on Twitter. Yeah. um they can email me ali at paleocanteen.co.uk um i'm always happy to chat you can add me on linkedin if you want ali houston and you'll see me there yeah um and yeah i would echo what you said which is you know i'm really grateful to have chatted with you and to have been introduced to you by ian Um yeah it's uh it's been a, a lovely conversation
0: yeah yeah well thank you and um Looking forward to hearing the stories of what people will discover. So thanks mate. Well, thank you so much for joining our conversation. Ali is part of a growing conversation around metabolic health and brain energy. And I look forward to having more guests on who will help us unpack this a little bit more. For now, thanks again. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle Mark A Cameron. And you can drop me an email on mark at markcameron.co. We're excited to share a little bit more. So please like, subscribe and just share with someone that you think might find this helpful. Thanks again.